All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. We're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Joe Rust has the weekend off for this weekend's Money Wise program. And if you'd like to learn more about us here at Davidson Capital Management, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. And for any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business, and we have offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. So we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And again, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com to learn more about us. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 183 points, or six-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 73 points, or 1.9%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 545 points, or 4.2%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 1.3%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 2.3%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 5.1%. NASDAQ closed at a uh, new all-time high. Uh, The biggest week, I think, since November for the NASDAQ. So the uh, technology stocks starting to get catch some fire. You know, they were uh, the first couple of weeks of the month. The the Dow and the S&P 500 were ahead, but uh, this week they – they definitely caught fire. Well, it's good to see that the market actually survived the inauguration that occurred this past week. So uh, that's a good thing. And now we're in the meat of the earnings season, especially next week. Uh, that's going to be coming up. And so far, I would say so good. I, I should look during the commercial break, get fact set, see how we are looking so far with S&P earnings to see kind of where we're standing year to date. Well, the markets have been rewarding those that have been uh, well ahead of expectation and have been taking some stocks out to the woodshed uh, that uh, came in below expectations. One of Friday's big example would be Intel, which I think was down about 8% Friday on uh, earnings news after, wasn't it in previously, was it this week or last week that they announced the CEO change and the, and the stock was up quite a bit? It was last to- week. And only to give it all back this week. But but what was interesting, though, is Thursday, before the close, Intel's earnings were accidentally leaked, mm-hmm. and the stock went on a big run-up, 7 8% to the close on Thursday. And then I think the the street didn't like what was discussed 
in the conference call because the incoming CEO was talking about keeping majority of the manufacturing of their chips in-house, which is not what the street wanted. The street wanted them to outsource the making of, I believe it's their seven nanometer chip, uh, which is the, the, the slow process of getting the seven nanometer chip out is one of the big crux. It's kind of the albatross hanging around Intel's neck. And for full disclosure, Intel is a position that we own in our portfolio as one of our Dow positions. Um, and so it is definitely a stock that has been on our radar screen, not for a good reason. <laughs> so it could be uh, looking as a potential replacement candidate, especially well, I, after what was announced on the conference call this past Friday. Well, I know we had talked about replacing it late last year, early this year, and then the CEO announcement came out and we had a nice jump and thought, hmm, okay, a little patience paid off there. Mm-hmm. But the action, like you described, between Thursday and Friday, that all-important uh, conference call, if somebody asks one little question and the markets can 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 be uh, not very kind to, the, to mm-hmm. shareholders. And, and so it definitely made – it was, I guess – and also IBM. You know, IBM is not in our portfolio. But, you know, two down names on Friday definitely took it on the chin. I think one time I saw I being down 10% on uh, on Friday. I, I guess really the most of the majority of the Dow's, Dow Jones Industrial Average loss on Friday was attributed to those two names, uh, really dragging dragging it down. Well, you know, looking so far for the fourth quarter 2020 earnings, you know, 13 13- percent of the companies the S&P 500 have reported and 86 percent of the S&P 500 companies have reported a positive earnings per share surprise and 82 percent have reported positive revenue surprise. So if the 86 percent is the final percentage it will tie the mark for the highest percentage of S&P 500 companies reporting positive earnings per share surprise since FactSet began tracking this matrix going back to 2008. So, so far so good, but again, only 13% of the S&P 500 has reported. So as I said earlier in the segment, we have a bigger chunk of fourth quarter earnings coming out next week. There were some bank earnings this week and they were by and large good on the, on the back of some of their, I think their, their proprietary trading uh, I think this bond trading was doing doing well and added to some revenues of some some big banks. So, uh, so far, I, like you said, Kyle, so far, so good. Uh, you know, up five. We got going into the last week of January with the Nasdaq. You know, up five percent. Even if it just has a flat week next next week. That's a sixty percent annualized number. I don't think that's going to hold for the whole year. But it is interesting that. Uh, the, it, the Nasdaq continues to show this this out this really wide out performance. You know, almost four percent of the head of the Dow uh, year to date. Uh, I mean, that's that's a big that's a big difference just in the in just in uh, you know three trading weeks. Well, do you think do you think now with the Biden administration in place and with maybe going to longer lockdowns, mass requirements, because we know there's a bit of a delay getting the vaccines in the arms. Do you think that that might have a little bit of a cause and effect of why some of the NASDAQ, the technology stocks have been catching a little fire really since since the 
kind of certification of Biden's position as being the next president of the United States well, because because knowing that his administration is more about locking down so the stay-at-home stocks have been catching some buying. I don't know if other that, stocks. I don't know if there was some concern in the markets that if that that there might be more regulation coming down to big tech and 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 um I'm not sure that that's really going to happen and maybe that's why the the big big tech is catching catching some uh catching a bid as they say and driving the stocks higher well with with how big tech helped the democratic party win the white house i don't think any regulations will be coming down the pipeline anytime soon with that let's take our first commercial break you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after this Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So I, I wanted to have a conversation, kind of investor education. We're getting to it very early in this weekend's Money Wise program. You know, we don't have our, we don't have Joe here. So we don't have Joe to be able to throw anything in uh, being off for this weekend's Money Wise program. So it's just Jeff and I, although I did, Jeff, get a request from one of our clients in Seguin. Dad has been requested. Dad <laughs> has been requested for the radio show. So I spoke to Dad earlier on Friday, and he said, not this weekend, but I'll get prepared maybe for the following weekend. But, you know, our father's a little bit more bearish than I would say the three of us are. So I told him, I said, he's going to have to leave his bear coat behind that is that is not going to happen i know it's not going to happen i know it's not but i I had i had to throw the ask in yeah so we'll just we're giving a a little uh i guess we'll call it a a little teaser that's right for maybe for future show yeah our seguin client's been a long long time listener to our money wise program so he's just he's he's missing dad he wants to hear dad so but I, i wanted to have a conversation from an investor education standpoint, it's a conversation I actually had on Friday uh, with one of our clients out in California. And you know, he and I always have really good, deep skull sessions about the market, very technical, a very experienced investor, someone who had actually gotten burned back in 2000, got burned again by the, by the legacy distribution system in 2008, and had primarily spent most of his time doing large real estate deals until he met us and decided to dip his toes back into the equity market and have since spent a lot of time educating him and really showing him the big difference between a financial salesperson and an actual professional asset management team like we are at Davidson Capital Management as true fiduciaries. And so he asked me, you know, a great question. He's always concerned about the next big pullback because he has gotten burned in the 2000 dot-com bubble, bubble bursting, and he got burned during the financial crisis. So this is always something that fear, that emotional, that, that fear emotion is always on the forefront of his mind. 
and I think this is a question that's a, this this conversation is important for all of our listeners because with the kind of run that we've had, I mean, you have to understand. And Jeff, I don't know if you caught this, but from the presidential election to Joe Biden's inauguration, it was the largest positive run for the S and P five hundred in history. In history, you mean over that particular time period? Over that particular I mean, time we period, sixty percent off the lows of the S and P in March to maybe yes. about the election. But I'm saying from the presidential election to the inauguration, it was just over 14%. It was the largest increase of the S&P 500 from election day to inauguration day of any president in history. So we've had a tremendous run. And when we're talking about from the COVID lows in the the NASDAQ, I believe the run is over 70%. So we've had these tremendous runs. And so a corrective move – is on the forefront of a lot of investors' minds. And in, in, in particularly investors, I would say, that are a little bit more right-leaning politically, that are not happy with what happened with the presidential election and then obviously what happened at the beginning of this month uh, with the Capitol and the, the inauguration of, of President Biden. So that's a, a big concern on the forefront of everyone's mind. And as I said to our client just this past Friday, I said, look, Corrections are always around the corner, and I could hear him. I could hear him verbalize just with this fear, like, oh, don't tell me that. And I said, look, I said, look, there's corrections always around the corner for a multitude of reasons. Sometimes it's a technical correction. Sometimes it's profit-taking. You know, not every correction in the market requires a dramatic portfolio overhaul or a tremendous portfolio allocation shift. Every correction doesn't necessarily deserve or need a dramatic response in a portfolio at all. You have to remember, and I know if Joe was was in on this conversation, something that, that he has been studying a lot is about asset allocation and how asset allocation is really one of the huge front and first lines of defenses in your portfolio. And as we've been preaching on the MoneyWise program since the day we started this show in November of 2005, we're a balanced manager. You have to have protection built into your portfolio at all time. And so when we have these corrective moves, if you have the right asset allocation model from the get-go, well, there's one line of protection. But then you have to look at security selection. You have to do the research and the analysis and find the fundamentally sound companies that can weather these corrective storms as another line of defense. And then a third line of defense is active management, not sitting back on your laurels and saying, well, security selection and asset allocation is going to take care of everything, so I don't ever have to touch my portfolio. Well, that's not necessarily true, and it's not true all the time. Now, Jeff, I would ask you, when we see corrective pullbacks, six, seven, eight percent corrective pullbacks, do we always go and, and raise cash, or are there periods of time where we feel that this is just a technical move and it's not going to require any type of investment decision to raise cash on our part? The question is always, always, is, is this a trade or is this a trend? Well, right. we don't trade, mm-hmm. so would we potentially be motivated to take profits if we think that we may be getting near a point where we might be getting some sort of 10, 15% correction, 20% correction? The answer is yes. 
that that we have taken profits in many times at, at, at the beginning or in the middle of a correction. Uh, but the, the this, as we've said, and we and I know we've got new listeners. We always have new listeners to the show every week, and some of our old listeners are probably thinking we're repeating ourselves, and and we are. But but for the folks that are listening to us for the you know the first time, first time, emotions is is one of the uh, worst enemies of a portfolio. And in this world that we live in today, where we're so saturated with passionate media voices, whether we agree with them or not, the the marketplace is saturated with them. And if you choose to saturate yourself with those voices, whether the voices that you agree with, the voices that you don't agree with, uh, they can sometimes elicit an emotional response in the portfolio and, and, and it's, and it's not typically a positive response. I say a positive response in the sense it's not motivating an investor to want to commit more money into the market. It's typically the exact opposite. And the more extreme examples are the all in all out strategies and the all in all out strategies is a failed, I must repeat failed strategy time and time and time again. And you know, in my in my conversation, just to interrupt you for a second, Jeff, because that was part that was a question that that this client asked. Would there ever be a market condition where y'all would go one hundred percent cash? And I told him, I said, absolutely never. There is never going to be a market condition where we are one hundred percent out of stocks. Now there'll be market conditions where we might be thirty percent stock or 35% stock or 40% stock like we were during the COVID correction, the COVID pullback. But went right to what you're saying right now, the all-in, all-out strategy, there is just decades of, of accumulated data that proves that is a failed and wrong strategy to take. And we have to keep repeating it again and again and again on this radio show to provide that education to try to keep listeners that are maybe in investing on their own or working with a financial salesperson that's taking orders from you as their client to keep you from making that mistake because it will cost you. And it has been proven time and time again to cost you. And so I'm bringing up this conversation because of the tremendous run that the market has had just since the presidential election and that we are getting closer and closer to where there should be some profit taking, taking place or, a short-term pullback. Oh, I'm sure the I'm sure the emotion those folks that are listening to us that might be in the emotional investor camp are probably maybe scratching their heads right now. Well, wait a second. Um, my guy didn't win, and I was really expecting the market to take it on the chin mm-hmm. when my guy didn't win in November. Yeah, and. I made a, I made an investment decision, but the market's up, as you said, Kyle. What fourteen percent? Yes. From from the uh, from the president from the election elect- to to, to inauguration. The inauguration, and so there's fourteen percent missed right there. Now I don't know how many folks are listening to us right now that actually followed that strategy and actually got all out when their candidate didn't win. I mean, our candidate didn't win. We're not we're not. It shouldn't be any surprise that our can our candidate didn't win. But we didn't go in and sell all of our our stocks in the portfolio, not by a long shot, because the markets are being driven 
by something much larger than who's in the White House and who, what, what party is in control of Congress. And we'll talk about that more when we come back for the break. All right. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, we're going over a topic that we've been talking about. You know, we, we touch on this topic periodically, week in, week out, on the MoneyWise program, because we know we have new listeners that tune in all the time, our longtime listeners. This is just kind of a reiteration of education. But it really was spurred, this whole conversation spurred from a conversation I had uh, on Friday with one of our clients out in California concerned about, you know, 20% market pullback and me trying to explain to him how an all-in, all-out strategy doesn't work, how, like Jeff, like you said, we have to determine as professional money managers, is this a trade or is this a trend? Uh, because not every market correction or pullback necessitates a reaction in the portfolio. And so how do you protect your portfolio? Well, you can first line of defense protected by the proper asset allocation, namely not being 100% stocks. Two, by actually doing the work and analysis of finding the underlying security. So it's security selection to put into the portfolio. And then three is your active management, the active management decisions of selling a position, taking a profit in position, but then also knowing when to be buying back in when these pullbacks are more of a trend as opposed to a trade. And I think after we go over these statistics, Jeff, that you got during the commercial break, we'll talk about, you know, what could really create a little bit more of a longer trend. Because the one thing I have noticed, and, and again, part of the conversation I had on Friday, is that it seems that these pullbacks and these corrective moves are less are, are lasting a shorter and shorter period of time. I mean, you look at how fast and hard the market pulled back in February and March of 2000 from the COVID pandemic, but then to see the recovery on the other side, and then to have a year with the global pandemic still raging, the S&P 500 with dividends being up north of 18%, it's just absolutely amazing. But as I mentioned to this client, you know, I think that one thing that COVID has done is it has opened up avenues to new investors, namely the millennials. And the millennials using different trading applications such as Robinhood, where now we're starting to get more money spread across more hands. Because I know years ago, Jeff, how many times did we talk about on the Money Wise program how much money was yeah, concentrated I, in so few yeah, hands? I, I don't agree with you. that Robinhood's not a drop in the bucket. I, I think the money is still concentrated in, in few hands. I think the Robinhood crowd, and I don't mean to throw the Robinhood crowd under the bus, but or your Rob- younger brother, but that's cool. Are you on Robinhood? No, no. Okay, no, just you're not. You're not. You're not. You're not part of the millennial crowd. You're too old. No, I, I, hate, I hate to tell you this, but you're yeah. too old to be a millennial. I know. I know. But but the but there's this, and, and and we have no evidence to support this. But the the popular belief is that the uh, the Robinhood crowd is behind the run-ups in Tesla 
in here recently. GameStop. This this GameStop that makes Tesla, you know, look like child's look, play. Look like child's play. I mean, what's happened? What's been happening in in that particular stock is insane. So let me get to some fun. Some of these statistics are just kind of. I just they're fun. We get we get this report every week from uh, a big money management organization and it's all and it's full of all kinds of interesting statistics that we could fill up an entire segment on and bore the heck out of everybody but there were some interesting tidbits and let me in- preface this this is the, the statistics you're going to give is why we are saying do not be an all in all out okay. type of investor so before i get to those let's let's talk let's talk some broader statistics to to the gentleman that you did the client that we were talking about afraid of the 20 percent correction around the corner the s&p 500 on average has gained 10.9 percent over the last 50 years from 1971 through 2020 per year no no average of 10.9 percent per year the index has been positive in 16 of the last 18 years. And over the long term, this last 50 years, between 71 and 2020, the S&P 500 has been up 40 of those years. That's 80%, 80% of the time over the last 50 years, the S&P 500 has been higher. So you have to ask yourself, eight times out of 10, I'm going to most likely make money. Is this something that I want to be committed to over the long term? If it has a history over the last 50 years, and our history is not indicative, of, you know, past performance is not indicative of future results. But over the last 50 years, think about what's happened in the last 50 years, ladies and gentlemen. How many presidents, how many political party changes, how many wars? I mean, a lot. Right, recessions. Eighty. How many recessions? How many high interest rate environments? Low interest rate environments? High monetary inflation. Eight out of ten years. Eighty percent of the time, it was higher. Okay. So let's talk about some really, really detailed statistics about why the all-in, all-out strategy is a failing strategy for a portfolio. The total return for the S&P 500 over the last 30 years, this, this particular statistic covers the last 30 years, which is 1991 to 2020, had a gain of 10.7% per year. Not much different than the 50-year average, right? If you missed the 24 best percentage gain days over the last 30 years. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying 24 days a year. I'm saying 24 days out of 30 years, three zero years, if you missed those days, meaning you didn't have money in the market. For just 24 days. 24 out of days a, out of 30. I mean, out of 30 years. What's 30 times 365? Is that, I, I can't do the math in my head. I'll do it 9, for 000, you. 9,000, 9,000 days, 30 out of times 365. Now, obviously... 10,950. Let's have it. Let's do it trading days. The average trading days okay. in a year is about 260. Go do 30 times 260. 7,800. All right, 7,800 trading days. If you missed 24 out of those 7,800 that we said, Kyle? Correct, 7,800. 
the 10.7% average annual gain is cut in half to 5.3%. If you didn't have any money in on those 24 best percentage days, that's why this all-in, all-out strategy fails miserably. Because if you miss those 24 days over the last 30 years, your returns could get cut in half, ladies and gentlemen, half. So fighting your emotion, whatever the whatever's generating that emotion, whether it's politics, whether it's a world event, whether it's whatever it is, and acting on that emotion from an investment point of view in a unilateral ma- manner where you're, you're out. I'll give me out. Totally out. It really can kill a portfolio. Yes, Kyle. So you give all these statistics, and so a listener saying, okay, Jeff, I hear all these statistics. So why is Davidson Capital not 100% of the stock market 100% of the time? <laughs> and here's the answer. Because... We're a balanced manager because asset allocation is the first line to defense, to smooth the peaks, but to also make the valleys shallower. Because when you see these extreme peaks and extreme valleys, that also stirs up emotion. So a balanced portfolio can help moderate investors' emotions. It's about singles and doubles. And occasionally you'll hit a triple. Occasionally you'll hit one over the fence. But our firm, now in its 32nd year of business, has built its philosophy around a hitting for singles and doubles philosophy. The old child story, tortoise and the hare. The tortoise wins the race, slow and steady, as opposed to constantly swinging for the fences. Even though we have all these statistics that Jeff just laid out of how many years the S&P is positive out of 40 or 50 years or what the average return is. Asset allocation is the first line of defense to managing investor emotion. Period. This is why we're a balanced manager and why we're not 100% of stocks 100% of the time, nor do we recommend anyone to do that unless you have such control over your investing emotion that you can handle those extreme peaks and valleys. And we're not saying that there isn't, you know, younger investors that have the risk capacity to be have have high allocations to stocks in their portfolio. Uh, but we don't we don't have a single portfolio as hundred percent stocks. 90, not a client. Not a client. Not a client. You know, ninety percent. Ninety is about as high as you see on an allocation of stocks with with uh, a client at our firm. Mm-hmm. And that's our most aggressive allocation when it's set to its most aggressive asset allocation model, which we are not to yet, because we have been doing some trading this past week, the week before as we've been adding, and I guess when we get to, to the net last segment of this first hour of the Weekend's Money Wise program, we can talk about some of the portfolio adjustments that we also made uh, that we had been alluding to the past couple of weeks in the show that we actually then pulled the trigger on this past week as we're building these positions, you know, building our barbell as we've been discussing on the portfolio. And I had that conversation with this same client that spurred this conversation that we've had for the last two, two segments of the weekend show. 
So let's take our uh, commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So last weekend's MoneyWise program, we talked about some of the things that we were thinking about as far as portfolio changes, but also some of the changes that we had been making, bringing in, uh, this was two weeks ago bringing in the emerging market asset class, which we had not owned in any of our portfolios at Davidson Capital Management. I mean, probably going back almost 10 years, if not longer, as far as emerging markets is concerned. And we have owned international uh, positions up until about 2018. But this past week, continuing on our, I don't want to say portfolio transformation, because we're just adding positions. And, and we talked on past MoneyWise programs about the barbell strategy in on the stock side of our portfolio, where we have one end of the barbell is our growth and capital appreciation section of the portfolio. Then the other side of the barbell, we are building a more classic stock, um, slower growth, but higher income and dividend paying stock end of the portfolio. So that's the other end of the barbell. So this past week, uh, and our asset builder accounts, which is our no-load mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, we brought in, started building a position into a large-cap value, which focuses on dividend income, which has a dividend income of over 3%, which a 10-year treasury closing on Friday at 1.08%, our, our dividend income is basically triple that of the 10-year treasury in this end of the portfolio. And then in our uh, individual stock and bond accounts for our large asset clients, we brought in 14, yes, you've heard me right, 14 individual stock positions. 10 of them are the dividend plays of the barbell. Four of them are more of our building to our, or adding to our growth end of our barbell. And so we made the first initial purchase of these positions, but we are stepping in over a period of weeks. So this was just stage one of multiple stages of adding these securities to both our asset builder and individual stock and bond accounts. Yeah, whenever a lot of trade, a lot of trading this past week. Whenever you're making changes to the portfolio of this magnitude in the middle or at the beginning of earnings season, you have to be mindful of uh, that. You know, some of these stocks, you know, they might have. Uh, a negative earnings report and you might get an opportunity to buy it at a lower price. Uh, and so that's why you, we got to be, you have to stage it in you know, over time, time, especially, especially when you're in, where, when you're in the middle or at the beginning uh, of earnings season. And so as of you know, the close of business on Friday, uh, I would say that we probably have the most stocks in the portfolio that we've had maybe in the history of the company. Uh, I, I, we're at like 60, 60, 60, indivi 60, 60 individual, individual stocks. stocks and five exchange traded funds. So that's a, you know, it's a big, and we've changed to, we, we've changed to a, uh, equally weighted, 
uh, on everything except uh, the, the, the ETFs and the and the barbell. The barbell, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the the bond sleeve, the ten stocks in the bond sleeve have a slightly lower allocation than the other stocks because we're building them up. We're still building them up. Yes. <clears throat> so in the in the other accounts, we've we've added complementary uh, ETFs uh, to execute the same strategy, but just using a different set of uh, securities in the portfolio. And all of this, you know, the the main goals of the portfolio, uh, uh, increase income, especially from the, you know, from the, you know, interest rates are just not delivering any, any income. So that was one of the themes that we wanted to uh, improve on this year was to improve the income in the portfolio. And we're doing that, through these these ten new uh, stock names that we're calling our bond sleeve, and, and and we've also been able going to this equally weighted strategy in our large individual stock and bond accounts. Going to this equally weighted strategy on the individual stocks is we've been able to not only reduce the beta, which is a risk, it's a gauge of risk, but we're also able to lower what's called R squared, which is getting into some technical aspects. Well, you're getting way in the weeds there. Kyle. Sorry. Well, really the thing I always like to look at is a sharp ratio, which is a gauge oh, of risk, risk versus keep, return. You keep going deeper in the weeds, man. <laughs> but, ba- but basically, basically, like you said, Jeff, we've been able to increase income. We've been able to lower our risk profile, right. even though we are adding more stocks and adding more allocation two stocks because eventually we will be at a 65% stock, 35% fixed income and cash allocation. So we'll be at a higher overall allocation of stocks than where we began the year. But because of some of the allocation adjustments and how we've gone to this equally weighted strategy in the individual stocks, we've been able to reduce risk while increasing overall return based on backdated back-tested, back-data, back-tested data, uh, but again, past performance is an indicative of future results, but this is a project that we have been working on extensively for months and months and months. So We, we believe it has a high uh, probability of success, or we would not have Correct. Uh, ex- made, made these changes based on um, the back-testing of, of, that uh, we have available to right. us. Yeah. So now we just have to, as we planted those seeds, now we just have to let them grow, but it's still going to take us a week or two to finish these positions in all of these accounts. And all I know we've got just a little bit of time left. This week's economic statistics, both on housing starts and existing home sales were better than expected. Next week, we've got a lot of economic statistics happening. On Wednesday, we have durable goods. On Thursday, we have the first reading of fourth quarter 2020 gross domestic product, new home sales, and leading economic indicators. That's all on Thursday. On Friday, we have personal income and spending coming out. And also on Wednesday is the first Fed meeting under the new Biden administration, same Federal Reserve chairman. I have not heard anything said about there being any interest in replacing him. I'm that's not, ex- not necessarily a bad thing. So. That's not. No, I think that's a good thing. I think. I think, I, I think the market. The markets would have reacted negatively if there was potentially going to be a change in, in Fed chairman. So, so, 
I so it's a good that, it's a good decision that they're they're not considering making any changes. Yeah, I, I don't think forward. it's a yeah yeah exactly. I don't think it's a good cha- a good oper- it's not a good thing to rock the boat there. But I think also uh, Jerome Powell had plenty of pushback to President Trump, so I'm sure he has fans on both sides of the aisle. We're fine with him in his position. We would prefer him over a PhD academic any day of the week as the chairman of the Federal Reserve. So. With that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So for listeners of the Money Wise program on 1200 WOAI in San Antonio, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. If you'd like to catch the second hour or past Money Wise programs, you can always go to our website, davidsoncap.com, and click on the radio show link. For our listeners of Corpus Christi on 1360 KKTX, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with more investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So now that we're in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and again, like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. I, it's, it's a topic that I wanted to revisit, go into a little bit more detail about. And for any longtime listener of this program, they know uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike, or I should say just straight out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or f- any any shape and form. And so... The reason why uh, I've been motivated to, to talk more about this and go into deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities, which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there, and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a f- blanket warning to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run away. And so I want to just go into some education. So let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? An annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately 
or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, that's called a deferred annuity, and if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is. The key word in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm-hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason, the insurance industry is allowed to use that word. The G word. As part of the marketing pitch. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it is nothing more than a promise. Because as we've said uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one only guaranteed investment, and that is government, U.S. government bonds, bills, and notes. That's right. That's the only guaranteed investment. Anything else is nothing more than a promise. It's a, and really, it's like you said, Jeff, it's a sales pitch. It's in the sales pitch because that the G word, as we call it, the get word guaranteed, gives the potential buyer that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's that's not true in the world of annuities. So annuities really come in two types, fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company guarantees, quote-unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable, and it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity indexed annuity. The new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid annuity, which is starting to show up at at lunch and dinner seminars across the city, a hybrid annuity. This, the equity indexed annuity product, Mm -hmm. is... On the radio, as, as as it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is. I'd probably say in some instances more. Jeff. You know, I don't see, I do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities. But whether it's satellite radio, whether it's terrestrial radio, uh, there are radio shows all across. You know, we we hear as we're driving across the state of Texas, there are probably. Five equity indexed annuity based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor uh, type show, like we have it here with uh, MoneyWise on KKTX. There, th- there'll be five others. Uh, we know of at least two or three in the San Antonio market that do nothing but pitch equity indexed annuities. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know for a fact in every large market in this state, there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity indexed annuities. And every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make. And as we get further in this education, I'll explain why the salespeople of equity indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity indexed annuity? An EIA, for short, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. 
the return varies more than a fixed annuity, but not as much as a variable annuity. Now, I need to educate our listeners that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff, throughout the history of, of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return givers? No. Earners? They're, they're, they're basically one step below government bonds in, okay. terms, of, in terms of safety. As a, I mean, and, and return. And then return. You know, CDs are back if you buy a CD at a commercial bank and it has FDIC insurance mm-hmm. and you buy the CD under the FDI insurance limits, then you are covered by the FDIC insurance program if, so, if that bank should fail. So... So with this in mind, knowing that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete with CDs, that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return is going to be low. No matter what pitch the salesperson on the other end of the on the other side of the desk is giving you, know in the back of your mind these things were created to compete against CDs. And so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher. And when I say slight, I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get in a fixed annuity. And as we get further into the education, I know we're bumping up on a commercial break, you'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you would want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the Black Plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is, an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. Uh, And again, these things were created back in the late 90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are. And we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we We'll stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products. Um, so let's get back to the EIA. Now, equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return, a rate of interest, and an interest rate linked to a market index. Uh, now, what is the guaranteed minimum rate? Well, typically the guaranteed minimum rate is at least 87.5% of the original premium paid. Uh, and that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about 1% to 3%. I mean, that'll be your minimum rate of return of 1% to 3%. Now, remember, if you surrender the equity indexed annuity early, 
you will have to pay a significant surrender charge and a 10% tax penalty, which will reduce or eliminate any returns. And I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities, if you're funding annuities with after-tax dollars and you're pre-59 and a half, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, and you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax-deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, uh, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half-truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never, ever in a million years buy any type of an annuity product if they gave you the full truth about these products. And that's what we're here doing today is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you, you will get up and walk away from the table. So how good is this quote-unquote guarantee? As Jeff and I said earlier, guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it. So it's not a guarantee. It's a promise. And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund in the state of Texas if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, 600,000, a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else a salesperson is not going to tell you when they're selling you this product. And I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity business as we know it would be dead. Now, you don't ever see any stories about that. Nope. We, we talk about it. I mean, we talk about it, but, but the, the fact of the matter is this is, a, this is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never, ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really have changed their story. It's the same story. No, the financial crisis, Dad, actually gave them more fire for their sales pitch because annuities... Well, fear has got higher. Yeah, well, particularly equity indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear. And really, annuities in general, but especially equity indexed annuities, are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster 
equity indexed annuity sales because they can prey, the salesman, yes, and I use the word, they can prey on your fear, on your uncomfortableness, and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've got the product for you. All the upside of the S&P 500 with none of the downside. How could you go wrong? That is the sales pitch. That is a sales pitch, and it's a flat-out lie. And here's the, here is the the thing about that sales pitch. If you listen to it very carefully, and you hear that you'll hear, hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads I win as an investor, and tails the insurance company loses. I want you. That doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the markets go goes up ten percent? Well, you get ten percent. And if, and if the market goes down ten percent, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be one to three percent. So you you win either way. Think about that logically for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And and here's something else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch. Mr. Ms. Klein, I'm not making a commission. Yeah, that's I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free. Right. That is another part they of the sales pitch. They don't go quite that far, but, but the oh really? <laughs> I, I, you, you may be <laughs> sorry. You, you may be making yeah, a little more dramatic. You may be making a little more dramatic. But there isn't a line item on this on the quarterly statement that comes to the to the client that says sales commission because the sales commissions are paid directly from the insurance company into the salesperson's pocket. Okay, so getting back to equity indexed annuities, so how are the equity indexed annuity interest rates compounded, the rate of return compounded? Well, again, the indexed, when they talk about index, typically a lot of them use the S&P 500. And the index-linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses. Now, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about participation rate, meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in. So the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity. For an example, an insurance company might set the participation rate at 80%, which means that the annuity would be credited with 80% of the gain experienced by the index. Now, that sounds good. So if the S&P is up 10%, then well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well, I want to get 8%. That's right. Or some, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about 100% participation. So you as the customer thinking, wow, I get 100% participation of the S&P 500 index, so I get all the upside, but then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man, what a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100-plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example, you have a cap of, say, 4%. So the market goes up 10. The S&P goes up 
you're capped at four. That's the maximum amount of money that you can make. That's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account. And I'm oversimplifying this because I don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep, but there are very complicated, convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. It's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps. They pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time, less than a year. One year. One year. One year less. Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this, that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us on our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity indexed annuities link interest rates or basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index, which sounds great. But then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity indexed annuity uh, basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a 2% rate of return per month. So if the market was up 5% in one month, you might only get two. Um, But again, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, what I have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line And then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes. Participation rate changes. Interest rate cap changes. And again, it's to the detriment of your account and to the betterment of the insurance company. And that is a sales pitch. That is a sales tactic. And I don't mean to steal any of your thunder, but there is is another teaser that draws clients in. Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium. And, and, and we use the word premium because an equity indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle. It is an insurance policy. And we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while. So when you're buying an annuity, the money you're putting into it is called a premium, just like if you were buying a life insurance policy. Uh, and so the one thing that we always say to, to anyone thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity 
why would an insurance company, if this product is so good... All the upside, none, none of the downside. downside. Why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus, they're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium. So we're going to give you ten free thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus? It's all marketing. It's all marketing. That it's to get your sales juices going, so where you no, will so go inside and get out of line. Really get greed. I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund. You go on the paper and, oh, here's this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra 10%. If I put $100,000 into it, it's now going to be worth $110,000. Mm-hmm. You see any are your mutual funds offering any, any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck no. No. This is, the, this is one of the only products that I know of that, that in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they, they sweeten the pot with these bonuses but you must stay in that investment for the entire well there's different there's different investing yeah. schedules there's for different the investing, but, but i can you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus and when i say extended period of time and we're talking 10 years or more yeah and we'll get to the surrender penalty penalty periods in just a second you know and again as i've i've said to anyone thinking about buying these if they have to entice you with free money if this thing is really that good as it's being presented they wouldn't have to give you anything well if they were really that good kyle why would we even need to be buying stocks and why would we need to be buying bonds why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds and why would all these other organizations in the united states that are selling uh, that are managing people's money. Why would why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what's going on in the markets? So all we got to do is stick it in these equity index news. Going to get all the upside and none of the downside, and a bonus on top of it. And why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance product? And, and you and you bring up a good point uh, that of the twenty largest insurance companies in, in the country, that nineteen of them avoid it like the plague, and don't touch it with an 11-foot pole, let alone a 10-foot pole. And most equity-indexed annuity providers are smaller, lower credit quality insurance companies, primarily located in the Midwest. You'll see them in Iowa. You'll see them in Missouri. You'll see them in Kansas. You know, you don't see the MetLife's of the world. You don't see the Prudentials. You don't see um, the principles of the world getting involved in these types of products. New York Life, they don't sell these types. Now, they sell variable annuities, and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either, but uh, we're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not police these products, which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths 
when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally had with the state board of insurance, I think they're really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, but haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well, in fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products. And that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA to actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA. They're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims. And when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand from the State Board of Insurance. And just to kind of, for some of our listeners that uh, were listening to us in 2005, 2006, we actually turned into the State Board of Insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities. And uh, in one show, in one one hour, they had 26 noted violations in their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two Ph.D. mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators where they have found that approximately 20% of premium paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA into the sales force. And you keep saying EIA equity, equity indexed, indexed annuities. annuities. So if you're given so if you're buying an equity indexed annuity putting $100,000 into it, you can almost assure yourself that about $20,000 of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, "Well, Kyle, I put in $100,000 and I've got $100,000 in my account." That is true. But guess what you do have? You have anywhere between 10 to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover the huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things. Now, equity indexed annuities, again, because it's not an investment product, they can pay double-digit commissions to the people that sell them. Why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents? Why do you think they run radio shows all over the state, all over the country? Because they pay big commissions. That's right. Um and so we, you know, we talked about the surrender p- penalty period. You know, I've done a bunch of research on multiple 
equity indexed annuities. And what I have found running numbers back, and in fact, I've I've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950. I've seen numbers run back to 1962. And I can tell you that from the research I have done, you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold, returns ranging anywhere from one and a half to 2% annualized per year. This is where we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you you might receive in a CD That's or, right. or government bond in, in the current interest rate environment. That's right. So let's talk about their the extremely poor liquidity that equity indexed annuities provide. Now, all annuities, all annuities provide a 10% free withdrawal, where you can take 10% of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you need to get a hold of more than 10%? Well, in an equity indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear-end surrender charges 20% plus to get this money out. So there is extremely poor liquidity in equity indexed annuities. Coming up to our last commercial break, we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll be wrapping up the equity indexed annuity education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity in equity indexed annuities and really annuities in general only allowing up to a 10% free withdrawal uh, anything above that particularly in equity indexed annuities you can be hit with substantial rear end commissions or rear end surrender charges as we call them or contingent deferred sales charges is another way uh, to describe them so again they have a real lack of liquidity now as I was talking about how extremely complicated these products are, you know, they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark. So the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived advantages to the purchaser, but because the product is so complex and you need to be a PhD in math and mathematics to figure them out. It, it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and, op- and, opa- and opaque when it comes to, to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated. Um, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up, for the annuity, you're trapped. There's nothing else you can do. If you want out of this thing, you could possibly get hit with a 20-plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing. Uh, you know, and what 
again, doing my research earlier this week, I ran across an insurance company out of Iowa that in the state of California, there's currently a class action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organized crime back in the 70s and 80s. And the fact that an equity indexed annuity provider in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty That's pretty significant, I would say, wouldn't you say, Dan? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And, and really what the, the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity-indexed annuities. And that's really where this California class action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity indexed annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one-hour or two-hour expose on the deceptive sales practices of equity indexed annuities. And he's known for the catch a predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator. It was because his mother had been approached by uh, this... A salesperson. A salesperson. That's what got him into it. And and so somewhere out there on the Internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, it was several years ago. This was ago. several years ago. And, again, any longtime listener to this program know that we are disdained for annuities of all shapes and forms. But equity-indexed annuities is what really gets me fired up because they are so worthless well, they're, they're the blue opinion. bonnet plague of all yeah, products of all, of all that products. we've ever come across. And, and you know, we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these. But when you see these high commissions and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic-sounding sales pitches and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there been anyone in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago? No. In, in, in fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs. Got an EIA that's had since around 2006. Since 2006, um, his performance return up 15%. Moderately allocated asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed close to 90% after man, all fees and after expenses. all fees and expenses that's a huge difference that's a huge difference when you annualize that number when you annualize that number out again they're making just above 
what a CD would return. But uh, I can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside, none of the downside. And I do know, and again, for education, this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits. That is an absolute lie. There are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability. Being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family-limited partnerships. Yeah. The last person that anyone should be asking about how do I shelter my assets from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. Amen. If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular that's or right. from from a lawsuit, that's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah, that's right. You don't and, come. And you, to, you, you, you don't come to us asking about a heart problem. That's right. You don't go to you your know. doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right. So I mean, really, when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor. Pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of any any type of annuity. Of any type of annuity. And I can tell you that we've had some calls, I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that have heard this education that we've done in the past on annuities and they have thanked us for making that mistake and buying these types of products and you know i wanted to to thank all of our listeners to to sticking with us in the second hour of this weekend's money wise program to get this education because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products because they are no good for 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 nobody i mean they're they're no good period and there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.